0: excited? Grab your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 4, all right? Luke, you have a father, right? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So Luke chapter 4. Hey, with that, I know uh, before service, the count was seven spots left. Now we're down to five, I think. Um, So just make sure you quickly get signed up for the broom, broom hockey, broom wars, whatever you want to call it. And all you need is a good pair of shoes, like Mr. Matt was saying. You guys got his joke, right? It's gonna be cool. All right, proud of you, buddy. All right, Luke 4, let me get there with you. Uh, I'm excited for today as we kind of make way through this whole series about meeting Jesus. And no doubt, Jesus meets all kinds of different people. But today is not just a normal gathering together of people. This is a very unique moment in the Bible. Luke chapter 4 records for us uh, something that takes place when Jesus and Satan meet up face-to-face And there's this interesting battle and temptation and a bit of a, not a war with necessarily swords and guns and cannons, uh, but opposition. There's attack and then there's retaliation. They go back and forth with different things. It's kind of a wild moment uh, with Jesus and Satan alone in the wilderness, kind of face off. Crazy stuff, Uh, but something you should know, a little bit of background about Satan Uh, who was Satan. Satan was this brilliant, magnificent angel, uh, but that is all he was. He's a brilliant, magnificent angel in heaven uh, who got full of himself, wanted to be greater than God, and so was cast out of heaven down to earth. And with him, when he fell, or was cast out, he took 30% of the angels, or 33, one third of the angels with him. I don't know if they went out of allegiance, went out of deception, went out of being full of themselves, what their pure motive was, but they fell also. So he led, in a sense, the fall of those angels in that moment. So that's who he was. Who is he? He is still just a fallen angel, meaning who is he not? He's not all-powerful, okay? He's not all-knowing. He's not omnipresent where he's in all places all the time. He's isolated to where he is at the moment. He's not like God in any way uh, whatsoever. That In the end of it all, read your Bibles. When you come to the conclusion of the book of Revelation, in the same way you could stomp out an ant's life, easy peasy, Okay? Satan is dealt with no problem. It's not like God and Satan have this huge duel and then the Lord barely wins, with a big scar left on his back or something. No, no, no. The only scars he has are because he loved you and I and was willing to bear them upon the cross. Uh, It's not something that was inflicted unwillingly, but willingly. And Satan, yes, fallen angel and magnificent and all that he does, very smart and brilliant, but he's not all powerful. He's not all knowing. He's not all present or any of those things. So don't think that somehow uh, God's got trouble with Satan. Uh, Satan's got some trouble with God, okay? Uh, But you guys good? You found Luke chapter four? All right, let's pray and we'll read through this and uh, find out what we can learn today. But Lord, we thank you, thank you, thank you that there is nothing that could ever stand in your way or get between your great love for us. And Lord, we just ask for teachable hearts, Lord, for understanding that we would know more and more about who you are. And God, with that understanding, would come great, great um, change in our life, that we'd be more like you and less like us. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Cool deal. So Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1, right? We're going to go down like 13 verses. So it says, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan, this huge river, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. How long was he tempted? 40 40 days. This is a long deal. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Verse 5, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all Will be yours. And Jesus, right, his, he retaliates, he comes back, verse 8, answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been written, it has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, verse 13, The devil had ended every temptation. He departed from him until an opportune time. Kind of a wild, wild Recording of something that takes place. How did this all come to pass? How did we end up here in the first place? How did Jesus get there? How did Jesus get into this situation? Interesting answer. How, how did he come face to face with this, the devil? How does he come in this moment of temptation? Simple. The Holy Spirit. Wait a second. What? For me, I don't know about for you, but when I read through this, like, wait. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and then met with temptation? How does that work? Sometimes people have this idea that the more spiritual they are, the more godly they become, the more simple life should be. Not true. Sometimes being filled with the Holy Spirit, walking with the Lord as close as we can, there will be great opposition. There will be great challenges. There will be huge struggles and difficulties. And so don't think, well, if I just become godly enough, everything will go smooth sailing and easy peasy, no problem. No, 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 no way. The challenges, though, can become overcome, no problem. They will be real nonetheless. So look at a spirit-filled life uh, is doesn't mean the same thing as a carefree life. Now, when temptation comes, know this for a fact: God does not tempt anyone. He will never, ever, ever tempt you. Read James chapter one. When things are going nuts in life, read James chapter one. It is such a sweet reminder that man, the Lord will never, never, never put in front of your face something you can't have. But it does happen. Where does it come from? Well, it's normal. It's normal to everybody. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. You guys ever attempted to lie? Yeah, you think your mom and dad were ever tempted to lie? And your grandma and grandpa? And your great-great-grandma and grandpa? And your great 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 think Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve are tempted to lie. Everyone deals with the same struggles, whether it's lying, stealing, whether it's lust, whether it's uh, jealousy and greed and the desire for more, that sin nature has been natural for all of creation. It's not something new. And no temptation, like, oh my gosh, I'm dealing with something that no one's ever dealt with before. This is not True. That we can relate. We're on the same team, which means we go through the same kinds of things. That we deal with the same kinds of sins. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common or normal to everybody, to man. But God is faithful. Amen. Will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Some people want to say God will not allow you to be tempted. Not true. Jesus himself was tempted right here in the wilderness. So it's not that God will never allow you to be tempted. It's that he'll never allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, the way of escape, I'll tell you right now, is usually the most uncomfortable, inconvenient way to go, okay? The way of escape, the back door is usually not the one that looks the prettiest in the moment. Talk about lying. We just said, like, hey, have you guys ever been tempted to lie? Right? I remember not all that long ago, a couple years back for sure, but um, I threw away a box full of stuff that was super important, very valuable actually. Uh, I threw it in the trash can to my, our family, mostly my wife. This was like bad, okay? It was a cardboard box. I was kind of tired, looked like trash, threw it in the trash can. A couple days later, of course, after the truck comes by and does his thing, where's that box? Um, did you throw that? And then how'd she know? It wasn't, have you seen it? It was like, did you throw it away? Like, How'd she even know to ask that question? Are you kidding me? And in the moment, my first thought, you know, my first thought was lie. Right now, to her face, stay out of trouble. Say, I don't, I don't know where it is. Because I technically I didn't. It was at a dump somewhere. And so I don't, I don't know exactly where it is. So my first thought was, I don't know. Well, what's the other option? Other option, the back door, the way out of this temptation for the moment, is to get yourself in trouble, to own your mistakes and to voluntarily put yourself in an uncomfortable position. The back door out of your temptation is never the most convenient. But it is always the right one. What God truly desires for your life, unity and peace and joy, and a future, and a hope is never through the door of temptation. It's always through the back door that sometimes, and most often, is very uncomfortable for the moment, but leads to life and truth. So there's no temptation that's ever overcome us, that's normal to man, but God is faithful. Praise the Lord. He's faithful. He'll always create a way out, whether you have to literally run out of a room because people are doing horrible things or you just have to make a different decision than you naturally would make, but there's always a way out. You guys are familiar with the guy Job in the Bible? You might think his name is Job if you look at it. Uh, His name is Job, Uh, interesting guy. The Lord uses him to teach some incredibly powerful lessons both about God to Job and about faith in God to Satan, Job makes it through this wild, crazy, gnarly situation where Satan is tempting him and destroying his life. And what happens? Job realizes and learns some great, amazing things about the Lord, and Satan learns about how great our faith in God actually is. Both people had a lesson to learn. Job learns, he gets to the end, man, all these things I've been hearing my whole life All these Bible studies I've been taught, all these things I've been told, man, I've seen him with my own eyes. It makes sense to me now. I get it. The light comes on in a sense. He says, the things I've heard, now my eyes have seen. And Satan comes to this point, and though he had accused, man, the only reason Job even likes you, God, because you've spoiled him. Look at his life. Family life, wonderful. Work life, wonderful. He has no needs. He has more than you could ever want. Wonderful. God's like, you don't get it. He doesn't love me because I give him stuff. And so Satan learns just how powerful our faith can be. So how did Jesus get there? The Lord took him there. The Holy Spirit took him there. Where is here? Where did he go? The wilderness. Look, sometimes where we need to be and where we want to be are not the same place. Sometimes where we want to be and where we need to be are not the same place. Now, I don't know about you. Uh, I know for me, how many of you guys love people? You love to be with people. You love to be in crowded rooms. You just, that's it. If you're alone in your room, it's like prison. You're like, I hate being alone. Okay, fair enough. A little bit jealous of you like this much jealous, but just a little bit. How many of you guys, I'm quite the opposite by just natural personality, you're totally fine being alone. In fact, you're, you're alone so long, you didn't even realize no one was there. A couple hours away, like, oh, there's no one here. I, I'm like that. You could drop me off from the mountains, pick me up three weeks later, and I wouldn't even know I was alone. It's just like, that's how I am naturally. But there's a huge difference between being alone and feeling lonely. There is a huge difference difference. Being alone is fine. If that's your natural personality, enjoy it, okay? Do your thing. Don't disconnect from people, but that's fine. But when loneliness sets in, don't forget you're never, never actually alone. It may be true that the only person with you at times is the Lord, but he will never leave you and never forsake you. And Jesus is in this place that maybe wouldn't have been exactly where he wanted to be, but it's where he needed to be. He's in the wilderness. He's alone. There's no one else there but him, the Holy Spirit, and Satan. Some neat things, though, happen in the wilderness. If you read the Bible, it's a theme. God uses the wilderness to, to grow people in very unique ways, the children of Israel, you know they were enslaved by Egypt and Pharaoh, and then do you guys know who God sent to free them? Let my people go. Well, who was it? Moses. Moses. Good job. And then after they're set free, where do they spend the next 40 years? Anybody know? The wilderness. the wilderness. But out of that comes a generation ready to step into God's promises or John the Baptist, wild guy. Lives, guess where he lives for a while? Wilderness, good job eating on grasshoppers and honey, uh, wearing stuff made out of camel skin, kind of a wild guy. But here's the deal, prepared for an amazing work, he begins to lay the way for what Jesus begins to do. Or you fast forward the Bible a little bit, the Apostle Paul. People know that he was a, a serious follower of Judaism to the point of destroying people and committing his life to pursuing people who are against it. And this guy changes everything he believes in, puts his faith in Jesus Christ, becomes a Christian. But between those two things, the moment he left a false faith and put faith in the true and living God, something happens. What? He lives alone in the wilderness for years. Then, God begins a great work. People always want to see amazing things happen in life, but they never want to spend the time letting God prepare them for it. People always want to see amazing things, but they're usually not willing to let God prepare them for it. So where is Jesus at? The wilderness. And here's a fun thing. 40, 40 days I don't know about you, that's a long time. You ever been bothered by your brother or your sister? Someone just like irks you, doesn't go right. Power goes out for an hour and you're gonna die. Like, I don't know, whatever it is. 40 days, that's a long time. And what we get to see just a tiny little glimpse of is the last three things Satan tempts Jesus with. What was going on the first 40 days? I don't know. I don't know what they are. They're not recorded. They're not written down for us. But the end conclusion we get a glimpse of and it's pretty awesome. It's amazing. But what we're to learn right now for the moment is this. That great temptation is to be countered by great retaliation, right? Everybody say retaliation. retaliation. Boom. Now, we don't mean the fleshly anger, like if someone hits you, you want to hit them back. If your brother or sister breaks your stuff, you're going to break their stuff. This means to meet the spiritual battle in the moment. Look at it. Things come up, you come back at it. Temptation rears its ugly head. You run out the door, or you beat it with a Bible verse, but you don't give into it. You stand strong. Jesus stands strong while meeting Satan in the wilderness. Three specific things happen. But first, got to realize what Jesus did. How did he do this? What is the great retaliation? Well, you see, Jesus says, for those 40 days, he wasn't eating. We're talking about seeking God, fasting in such a unique way. You guys, I would strongly encourage you, learn more about fasting. But you can never set this, like, you know, I fast every Friday, or the first and third Thursday, or, uh, you know, I fast every December. Like, no, no, you don't just make this a routine, religious kind of calendared thing. It's unique moments when you need God more than normal, then you seek God more than normal. And so fasting, and then it's followed by, you see, his retaliation is the Word of God. If you do not know what the Word of God teaches you will be swept away by the devil's deception. Guaranteed. If you do not know what the Bible teaches, you will or already are being swept away by the devil's deception. So there's three things, three areas we get a glimpse into as Jesus and Satan have these conversations or this little bit of a battle moment here. One of them, right, is pride. Everyone say pride. Okay, the second thing is power. The third, you ready for a huge word? If you say it, you get like bonus points for the day or something, but presumptuous. Presumptuous. Oh, all right, bonus points. Presumptuous, we'll talk about what that means in a minute, but the first thing we find out Satan kind of goes after is this idea of pride. He says, oh, Jesus, look at, here it is. He tells him, prove it. Prove it, Jesus, What do you mean, prove it? Here's his attack. His attack is, if you are the son of God, oh, really? Oh, 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 you're from heaven? You're the savior, the redeemer? You're the creator, the one that Genesis talks about, who spoke and said, let there be light, and the universe was created. Let the earth bring forth grass of the fields. You're that God? Oh, yeah, prove it. If you're the son of God, command these stones to turn into bread. I mean, you're hungry, aren't you? So Jesus could have been like, oh yeah, watch this. I'm gonna turn you into bread. Zap. Like <laughs> he could have done whatever he wanted, of course. But he's God. And so the attack comes, taxes, pride. Oh yeah, prove it. The retaliation is with the word of God. He's quoting the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 8. It says, Man shall not live by bread alone. It's not about the moment. We cannot, guys. I know it's junior high, you're surrounded by all kinds of friends, opportunities, temptations, but starting now, you cannot live for the moment. But I'm hungry. Get past the moment. But I want that. But I like him. But I like her. But I want, but get past the moment. There's more to life than the temporary satisfaction that a few minutes may give. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. That we commit our lives to more than just a moment, but living out the will of God in our lives. Now here's the thing. He knows Jesus is hungry, so he tempts him in this area. And Satan will always tempt your flesh first. Okay? There are other things to go after in life, but it'll always go after your flesh first. Those things that you want to have, that you make, maybe would make you feel uh, accepted by people, or happy in the moment. Sometimes it's material goods, can be relationships, can be personal things. But just know that Satan will always go after your flesh first. And if he can't, he'll go after other things, but it's just the way it is. So he goes after his pride. Oh yeah, prove it. Second thing, if you remember what it was, the power, right? We're talking about authority. He totally questions Jesus's authority, assuming he doesn't have any actually. But before we jump into this, you got to know something about Satan. A lot of people don't quite wrap their mind around this part, that yes, God is in control of everything. Who's the king of kings and lord of lords? You know his name? Jesus, Jesus. that's right. But uh, who's in control of this world right now? Satan. Satan, very good, okay? Something you gotta know about Satan, the devil. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 calls him the god of this age. It's a little g, it just means temporary little power, but he has a substantial hold on life as we know it right now, uh, influence of this creation, John chapter 12, verse 31 refers to him as the ruler of the world. Okay, he's going to raise up the Antichrist and take over civilization at one point uh, for a little while, minus the church that's raptured and pulled out of it. And then you have Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. He's the prince of the power of the air that he goes back and forth and manipulates and deceives and destroys and, and at will seems to begin to uh, sow great division and pride and arrogance and lead us into sin. But a prince is not a king. Don't ever forget that. A prince is not a king. Yes, brother, you. The prince of the power of the air. He is a prince. He's got temporary influence, but not eternal control. He's not the king. Okay? So, what are you talking about? How does this whole thing work? Luke chapter 4, verse 5 through 8. Check it out. This is round two they go into here. Then the devil, taking Jesus up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me and I will give it to whomever I wish. Is that even a true statement? Yeah, it is. He's gonna give it to control to the Antichrist at one point in the future he will take over the world for sure, but it's not the in conclusion. It's a temporary truth, but it's not the in conclusion. Therefore, if you will worship before me, All will be yours. Was that a temptation for Jesus? Of course it was. Didn't Jesus come for the world to save from his sins? And wait, you mean no cross, no nails through my arms, no crown of thorns in my skull, no whip tearing the flesh from my back, no dying, no spitting on me, no mocking me, no none of this, I just get it all now? But it wasn't the will of the Father. He says, worship me. All you got to do is worship me and I'll give you everything you ever wanted. What a lie. Sounds so good, but the end would be so, so bad. Jesus responds in verse 8, Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me. Basically, I'm done with you. You, I've drawn the line. You've gone too far, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Look at your Bible. Jesus brings in something that Satan had left out. He said, Oh, all you got to do is bow down. All you got to do is no longer live your way, live my way, and I'll give you everything you ever wanted. True worship is beyond the moment, it's not singing. Satan wasn't like, hey, just trade out words to the song, right? Instead of how great is our God, just sing how great is the devil. Like he wasn't saying serenade me with songs. He was saying yield your life to my will. That's what true worship is. When you're not talking about worshiping the Lord, it's us giving up our will to follow his. But here's the deal. You cannot, you cannot separate worship and service who you serve, what you live for is who you worship. Who you live for is who you worship. Just the way it is. Jesus says, look at, quoting the Old Testament again, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You cannot separate the two. So there's three people or three categories like, yeah, three people you'll worship in your life, you'll serve. You're going to serve either self, Galatians chapter 5 gives us a pretty good example. How do you know if you're worshiping self? Well, easy, you live for self. It says, out of your life, there's going to be hatred towards people. There's going to be contentions and difficulties, jealousy, outbursts of wrath where you just can't contain it, selfish ambitions. You can read the rest. There's so many in there. And it says, look, if these things are present in our lives, guess who you serve? You serve self. And so it means you worship the man in the mirror. You're mostly about you other option from there is satan what yeah it's real simple it says that we were all at one point ensnared by him but jesus tells this group of people it says in john eight forty four, you are of your father the devil and the desire of your father you want to do the devil is a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Kind of crazy. What's the third option? Simple. The best option. The Savior. Romans 12.1, he says, I beseech you, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So, pride comes up, right? Oh yeah, you're the son of God? You've come from heaven to save the world? Prove it. Come on, you're the creator? Turn the rocks into bread. I dare you. And then he questions his power and his authority. I'll give you everything you came for. It's like, hello. Like, I know you have a little bit of power right now, but you're talking to the king of kings. Come on. I'm taking it all back in the end anyways. What's going on here? Worship was being questioned. And then there's that whole presumptuous, to presume something. What does to presume something mean? It makes to uh, assume you have the rights to something without actually knowing it. It means to take or to do something without permission. You guys ever borrowed something without asking for it and found out you probably should have asked for it first? It's like, trouble, right? Try it. When your dad goes to sleep tonight, just borrow 20 bucks out of his wallet without asking And then just assume that you'll pay him back later, right? You didn't do that, right? Okay, good. I thought you said you did do that. Bad idea. Or you go borrow, you guys have all seen that movie. uh, What's the baseball movie? Sandlot. He borrows the baseball from his stepdad. Bad idea. Signed by Babe Ruth, knocked out of the park, eaten by a dog, kids dead. So, what is this whole thing about being presumptuous? He tries to get Jesus to be presumptuous. Take a look. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 9. Then Satan brought Jesus to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Go ahead. Imagine I take you up on top of the church. It's like, oh, yeah? Jump. Like, wait, what? Excuse me? Just jump? Jump. Isn't it written, verse 10, for it is written, Jesus, right? Doesn't the Bible say that God will give his angels charge over you to keep you? They're going to keep you safe, right? And it's written somewhere else in the Bible. Isn't it wild how much Bible Satan knows? Interesting. Satan probably looks a lot more like a Christian than most people do. He's not stupid. He's very sly, very smart. He says, and not only, didn't didn't the Bible tell you that God's going to keep Charge over you, get the angels to keep you and protect you. And verse eleven, in their hands they shall bear you up, so you you don't dash your foot against a stone. Jump, go for it, Jesus. Just isn't God going to take care of it all, anyways? And Jesus answered and said to him, "It has been said. It's also been written. Remember, there is the attack. It is written." And then there's a the retaliation. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Doesn't God love me? Oh, he loves you. So I'm just going to jump out of an airplane without a parachute and he's going to save me, right? No. Doesn't he love me? Yes. That's why he gave you a brain to use so you don't jump out of an airplane without a parachute. Can I go bungee jumping without a cord? You sure can. You'll just die. Doesn't he love me? Yes. We're back to the brain thing again. Like, come on. But some people, now that's, no one would ever do that. No, 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 they wouldn't. But they just assume, I can just be lazy and not care my whole life and it'll never catch up with me. Wrong. Proverbs says that Solomon walked by a lazy man's house one day and saw the walls had been broken down, the thorns had begun to grow, and his poverty came upon him like a lion. Don't just think, I'm just going to, whatever, life doesn't matter. it It will come upon you so hard and so fast and there's nothing you can do about it. Or the idea that you can play with romance and relationships before you're ready. Bible says, are you crazy? You entertain that stuff? It's like thinking you can carry burning hot logs that are lit on fire and not get burned. You're out of your mind. Or that you can hang out with the wrong crowd and not be influenced. No way, man. The Bible says that evil company corrupts good habits. It doesn't matter how great your parents were when you were a kid. The people you surround yourself later on in life will redefine and shape the way you see and think. Don't tempt God. I know none of you are going to go skydiving without a parachute today, but to revisit the things in life that you hold most important. Now look, does God intervene in unique situations? Of course he does. But you never go looking for the trial. It's when the trial comes looking for you. You know the story of David and Goliath? Pretty sure most of us do, okay? Look, was David just bored that day? So he took his buddies down to like the local shopping spot and like, yeah, that's the big guy, man. Her name's Goliath. It looks like more Galdadameth or something. Like, hey, I'm gonna throw a rock at him and see what happens. Let's see. And God's like, I'll save you, David. I'll have the, the rock sink into it. No! You go out to a giant, throw a rock at his head, you're gonna die. The giant comes after you, slightly different story. Or Daniel in the lion's den. You're like, oh, I'll prove God's real. I'm gonna go play with the hungry lions. You'll see. Like, no, 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 no. That's not how it worked. It was the other way around. They threw him into the situation. He didn't go looking for it. But to just assume, I'm just going to do whatever I want, just live my life, and everything will work out in the end, uh, says who? Do not tempt the Lord your God. So how does this all end? Kind of cool. Jesus stands his ground, and Satan walks away defeated. Well, he'll come back later on, but he'll fail. And it's kind of funny, sad, but, but funny. As a baby, when Jesus was two years old, do you remember Herod was like, that's it? We're wiping out every male child, two years old and under. And the greatest, most horrific moment in history, or one of the greatest happened, that soldiers went house to house, murdering two-year-old boys and under, trying to kill Jesus. You think that plot wasn't put there by Satan himself? Come on, Herod didn't dream that up on his own. But as a baby, failed in humanity. Satan failed. Not only here, but in the end. Imagine Satan, you're like, we're going to kill Jesus. And he actually, they kill him. They put him in a grave. You're like, ha, 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 ha. Three days later, Jesus is walking around. You're like, no. (laughs) I thought I had him. In eternity, Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. And brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. As in the end, know this. You'll end up in the wilderness sometimes. Okay. That sometimes where you need to be and where you want to be aren't the same place. But it's where God prepares you for a great work. And you're never really alone no matter how alone you might feel in the moment. But we don't lean on our own understanding. We don't rely upon our own strength. It's being filled with the Holy Spirit and completely aware of what's in the Bible that will allow us to triumph over even direct attacks from Satan himself. And so we end Ephesians chapter 6. as finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So this year, open your Bibles. Get to know what's in it. I don't care how slow you go, but don't ignore it altogether. Because the only antidote to the devil's deception is being filled with the Holy Spirit and aware of what's in the Word. Okay, We're going to close in a song of worship, but I want to ask you guys, purpose in your heart. Decide... Today, are you going to follow Jesus a little bit harder this coming year versus just coasting through? Right. Father, we thank you, thank you, thank you for your wisdom, for your word, for your love, for sending Jesus Christ to die upon the cross. And through the power of your Spirit, having him rise again from the dead. Lord, you are amazing. And so as we prepare our hearts to worship you now, God, may you be the one we worship, the one we serve, the one we follow. In Jesus' name, amen.